Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, so today we are here with another episode of uh, Research with NJ, and today I have an expert guest with me, Mr. Ganesh Shivamani, and he is a research associate at Center of Social and Economic Progress (CSAP), which was earlier known as Brookings India because of the sponsorships and everything. So he has a master's uh, from University of Cambridge, and he works in critical minerals for India. Hi, Ganesh, how are you today? Hi Naman, thanks for having me, and thanks for calling me an expert. Uh, I wouldn't uh, go that far, but uh, appreciate being here. Thank you so much. So uh, you, I, I believe you work with uh, Professor Chadda, uh, Rajesh Chadda. Uh, he's a senior fellow at CSAT, and uh, I think you have worked in assessing the criticality of minerals for India, and you have recently published an updated version of your paper from twenty one, I guess, mm -hmm. December twenty one, right? That's right. So could you please uh, like walk us through that paper? Yeah, sure. Uh, just to start um, for the context in the work we do. Uh, so I work with Professor Ajay Shada, who is the senior fellow at CSEP, and he is also the team lead of the non-fuel minerals and mining program uh, at CSEP. I think we're one of the few organizations in all of India uh, that does any work on uh, the topic of non-fuel mining. Uh, and by non-fuel mining, I am specifically avoiding anything to do with coal or oil or yeah. gas. Yeah. And uh, I think it's Personally, very important. Uh, we look at the mining sector as a whole, and uh, being one of the few places we do uh, a whole holistic uh, research perspective on the mining sector. And um, one of the key points of the mining sector is that it provides the natural resources needed for your manufacturing sectors uh, and everything else downstream. So, uh, the importance of the mining sector can't be understated enough, I think. So I think, um, just to give some more context on... I think, what would be the best way to describe critical minerals? Yeah, yeah, yeah sort of that. That's, yeah, that's yeah. important because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the mining sector, of course, uh, looks at uh, tons of minerals. India is actually endowed with, uh, I think, over 80 types of minerals. Uh, many of them are precious gems like gold, diamond, and so on. Uh, we have a huge history of mining in India. I'm sure people know of the Kohinoor, but it goes back uh, centuries, if not millennium. Um, and uh, some of the major minerals that people are aware of today um, that India does quite well in mining actually include iron ore uh, for steel, of course, uh, limestone for cement, um, then you have uh, chromium, which is also important for stainless steel and other applications. These are the more well-known minerals that... Uh, I think bauxite is one of them. Bauxite, of course, right? yeah, I missed that, you're right. Aluminium, yeah, absolutely, yeah, I missed that, yeah. you're right. So I think these are the minerals that everyone knows about and we know what the uses are and how important it is for uh, everything around us. Um, your infrastructure, your buildings, um, just everywhere around us you have minerals and uh, that, that's why it's really important. The, the entire world we have today, the developed world we have today is because of the, uh, the minerals we find on the ground. So um, there's a subsection, a subsect of minerals that uh, are known as critical minerals um, and these critical minerals are usually defined because of um, two factors but I think everyone has their own kind of view but overall what the uh, meaning of a critical mineral is is that um, it's a mineral that's really important for your economy, um, specifically today, but uh, you can also have a forward-looking approach and say it might be important in the future. And secondly, um, the supply, uh, supplies of these minerals are typically having some sort of issues involved. Uh, the issues can be numerous, it can be singular. Um, some of the issues, uh, of course, we'll talk about it a bit more in detail, but it could be as simple as only two or three countries, countries mine that yeah. mineral. That's concentration of minerals. It could be the difficulty in finding it, and difficulty in mining it, uh, uh, difficulties in recycling it. So, so the multiple issues that can be brought up in terms of the supplies of the min mineral. Uh, but basically, critical minerals can be looked at as any mineral where um, the demand is going to be high, high or currently is high, especially for your important sectors. Uh, and supplies are also um, um, kind of limited because of whatever reasons. Uh, and critical minerals have been becoming a point of focus, I think more specifically over the last 15 years, 10 to 15 years, all over the world and in India as well. Uh, specifically because of the importance of critical minerals to manufacture the technologies we require for our green energy transition. So what are the, sorry, uh, what are the economic applications uh, of this critical minerals? Because, you know, like, this is an economic organization primarily. Yeah. And so how do you see the economic applications, the usage in daily life sure, for sure. everyone? And like, why researchers need to focus more on this area? Yeah. 
So I think uh, just a small point. Uh, we do also social. Uh, I mean, the social angle is also very Absolutely. important to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but of course, yeah, it can go hand in hand. The economic and social uh, elements. So, um, so I think in our paper we kind of go through a list of about forty minerals where we talk about the use of these minerals. Uh, but I can give some specifics as well. Uh, I think the most well known probably be uh, lithium. That's yeah. required for your electric vehicles, the batteries. Uh, not just for electric vehicles, it's also needed for um, battery storage for the grid. Especially as you have more renewables in the grid, you'd require more battery storage yeah. uh, because renewables are notorious for being uh, having peaks and troughs in their yeah. uh, generation. So solar, of course, during the day, wind more towards the night. And to balance the grid and have a constant supply, or at least have a supply where the demand is high, uh, you need to have some sort of storage in the grid um, to meet that. So that's lithium for one. Uh, another well-known one, I would say, would be rare earth elements. Yeah. Uh, or at least this is kind of mentioned in uh, multiple places. I think those would be the mm -hmm. lanthanides. Oh uh, yeah, so that's yeah. the group lanthanide group. Uh, so it includes actually a variety of minerals, yes. and typically they're classified uh, between heavy rare earths and light rare light, earths. Yeah. Uh, so light rare earths, I think, a uh, really famous one, or at least the one that's used in uh, so many applications, is uh, neodymium. So this is one of the minerals that are permanent magnets and uh, they're important for manufacturing motors. So motors for anything, of course, but uh, more specifically in terms of uh, our climate change issues, we can look at the wind turbines and uh, the motors needed for the wind turbines, for example, would require neodymium as one of its components. Um, so yeah, this is just two or three examples of critical minerals. You have others like cobalt. Uh, nickel. I think uh, strontium. Strontium is one. Yeah, there's so many. A lot, lot of yeah, minerals. I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the previous version of your paper where I had 23 critical minerals, and yeah. this one has added 20 more. That's right. That's right. right. So it sums up to 43. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, it's it's 43 minerals we uh, assessed for the criticality. And uh, I think there is no more more room for any other mineral or elements <laughs> to be included. No, no, I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think I think on one of our pages we have a periodic table where we kind of highlight the minerals we've yeah. analyzed. Uh, actually, there are quite a few minerals that we would like to do, but we haven't. Uh, so, we would you be uh, in a position to do for the actinides? Because I think there are uh, they are basically nuclear reactive materials. Uh, yeah, so would yeah. that count in critical minerals? So, uh, I think one of the reasons we avoided nuclear is well, there are two reasons. One is that we kind of wanted to stick with the non-fuel part. Okay. So, nuclear elements we kind of consider to be a fuel yeah. mineral. Yes. Secondly, um, of course, being a nuclear mineral, the purview of uh, these minerals kind of fall under the Department of Atomic Energy, um, and the information access is very restricted. Restricted, absolutely. So uh, to avoid any issues with data oh, and yes, try to find yes. national security implications, it kind of made sense to stick with the more well-known critical minerals that are not necessarily atomic uh, in nature. So we avoided that for now. But an example of a mineral that we could definitely look into, which is very important, um, is hydrogen. So uh, hydrogen, I think, it comes so into, much talk about. Yeah, I mean, it comes into S block, so I think it, it it's not that uh, like would be a problem for anyone to assess. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So the the idea of I mean hydrogen is um, uh, especially for transport and for energy storage uh, needs. I think hydrogen is going to be quite important. So is uh, it a green energy fuel or probably somewhere? Else? So I think uh, I'm not an expert on hydrogen. Let me just start okay. by saying yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, all I'm familiar with is that there are different types of hydrogen. Uh, yes, in yes. terms of the way you produce it. So, I mean, there are three isotopes, of course, we... Yeah, I'm not sure about the isotopes, but I'm talking more about the way in which hydrogen can be manufactured. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. you have uh, green hydrogen, which is manufactured by using uh, electricity or energy from renewable energy sources. Okay. Uh, then you have, uh, and I know that at least grey hydrogen exists, blue hydrogen exists. If I'm not mistaken, grey hydrogen requires a fossil fuel to manufacture. Okay. Uh, blue hydrogen, I think, somewhere in between, not exactly I think sure. in these uh, types of hydrogen, mm -hmm. the major component is the hydrogen, but they have some sort of impurities or some sort of uh, uh, mixture. I, I think it. in order to uh, split the hydrogen from water, so water H2, yes, yes. H2, I, H2O, yeah. from what I understand. But again, and then the atomic the, weight would be uh, completely different uh, in order to produce a different type of uh, hydrogen itself, right? I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I think, I think uh, the last two, three minutes on hydrogen, uh, better saved for experts. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, surely I'll grab one to talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's basically um, kind of the... the I, I think we've probably skipped a few steps here already, but um, the, the, the basis of the paper, I think I can start there, is that um, every country needs to know uh, what minerals are critical for that country. Yeah. Uh, the reason why we need to know what minerals are critical is because 
there is a finite supply of minerals uh, at any given time. Of course, you have the overall finite supply in Earth, but um, more specifically, you have the finite supply in the sense that making a new mine, mine yeah, uh, and takes we can't time. drill beyond a particular limit. Uh, yeah, so right? that's probably, dangerous, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, there are definitely limitations in terms yeah. of. Uh, locations you can mine, but yeah. uh, notwithstanding that, just in terms of the time it takes to set up a new mining operation, can be uh, decades. Okay. And uh, the the demand for these minerals, specifically the minerals for our clean technology transition, uh, will be required much much sooner. Mm-hmm. And almost every country in the world, I think, has set a target of net zero uh, emissions oh, yes. within the next uh, 60, 70 years at most. At most, yeah. uh, India, 2070. But I think many of the developed countries are already saying 2050, 2060, somewhere in between. So uh, for these reasons, the demand for these minerals are going to skyrocket. Uh, and uh, matching the supply is going to be very, very important. Uh, and uh, honestly, if you're not able to do that, there's actually a severe threat that we're not going to meet some of our targets for climate change mitigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I feel is a bit understated. A lot of people are missing out on the fact that this is generally a problem uh, in the future. I think most people have not known that uh, critical minerals are that important or that yeah. this particular part of the research. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They haven't recognized that. I exactly, think it's just yeah. not in India. Uh, I think it's all over the world. Agreed, it is. It is. And uh, it is. I think with the likes of uh, topmost universities in the world, I mean, they are still lacking a dedicated laboratory or a research center regarding uh, critical assessment of minerals, right? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, okay. I'm not familiar with. Uh, the no, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, when we browse through all the yeah. sort of uh, websites for mm. universities, different research centers, mm. I think we haven't. I mean, personally, In I have. You're outside of India. I mean, outside of India. Outside of India. I mean, yeah. the likes of US and UK and right, probably right. Europe. Yeah. So I think we haven't had an opportunity to, to you know, like see a research center where which is dedicated for critical minerals mm. assessment. Mm. Right, I think CSAP is probably one of the very few in the world, yeah. not just in India, I mean very one few in the world to have a dedicated uh, research team yeah, yeah. to critically assess this yeah. particular aspect. So I think uh, one thing to add is that we are standing uh, on the shoulders of work that's been done by other countries. Um, this is, I think, work that's been done quite well by the EU. Okay. Um, the UK also does some work on it, but the EU study actually is the basis of our work. Okay. So the EU has been doing it for, I think, a good uh, half a decade, if not more, uh, more than half a decade. I think they have realized this, this yeah. issue. They realized this issue yeah. uh, a while back. Uh, and it's not like India hasn't realized this issue. Oh, yes, issue, they have. They India have. has actually seen this issue well before 2010. Uh, we, we've had discussions on uh, strategic minerals, strategic uh-huh. minerals being... Uh, a subset of critical minerals. Um, yeah. These minerals are more in terms of what's needed for national security purposes, uh, so specifically for defense manufacturing and um, allied activities. But I think this, I mean, like your research is more dedicated towards the economic security and economic issues, economic crisis of these particular minerals, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's more to do with um, how much demand there is going to be for these minerals today uh, and in the future to an extent. So it's, it's more on, on, on that overall holistic economy perspective. But the, the work uh, inspiration, or at least the, the, the key driving force of this work is the need of critical minerals for green technologies. Uh, it's not that they're only needed for green technologies. Uh, our, our paper clearly shows um, critical minerals or minerals in general, of course, are needed for multiple things, including pharmaceuticals, including ceramics, glass, um, uh, Lubricants, it, it's, it's everywhere. Everywhere. So, so uh, I want to uh, ask you one like bothering question from you. I'm like, this is, it's been bothering me a lot. Sure. And the question is basically, you know, like uh, when, when I went through your paper and I saw table, uh, you know, suggesting minerals and which country has, you know, uh, declared which element or a mineral as critical, right? Yeah. yeah. So I see that uh, in that table, there were two columns for India. Mm-hmm. which was India PC that represents Planning Commissioner. I yeah. think that uh, reference to Planning Commission's report of 2011. Yeah. And the other was uh, India's uh, Department of Science and Technology, Correct. which had a collaborated study with CEEW, right? So I want to ask you, like, why India does not have a unification in this term, right. a unification right. of their ideas of research yeah. and assessment of critical minerals, which will be there and which not yeah. be. Yeah. So why is, not... Uh, uh, yeah this unification very very good question uh, i think i think here one thing to add is that um, most major jurisdictions have uh, a very comprehensive critical mineral strategy for the country 
and a critical mineral strategy actually is underpinned by an assessment of critical minerals. If you don't know what minerals are critical, then you can't make a strategy to determine how to secure the supply chains of these yes. minerals. Right. So uh, India has had uh, multiple pieces of work kind of between government departments, uh, even before the planning commission, I think there's mention of uh, critical strategic minerals, but the planning commission report we highlighted because it very clearly specifically marked uh, the importance of these and importance of securing the supply chains of these. Um, this came out in 2011 and uh, I'm not aware if they had any quantitative approach to determining these minerals. Uh, so they may have just figured out based on what other countries have decided that these minerals are most critical. And the minerals they decided are very, very critical. So okay. well, they didn't get it wrong or anything. Uh, I just don't think there was a quantification behind it. There was no approach, methodological approach to figuring out this list for India's needs. Yeah. Um, the DST study along with CEW was the first attempt at doing so in India, where we actually had a way to quantify using uh, certain metrics. And uh, like we have done, the DST ECW study also relied on the EU methodology to figure it out for India. Uh, but it does not uh, matches with the list of critical minerals uh, for the planning commission. Right? Yeah, yeah, there, there definitely so it differences. Differs, it differs a bit, right? There's some differences between the two, absolutely. And um, that's bound to happen because critical mineral lists are actually not static. Right. Uh, it's very important to update these lists frequently. The EU does so every three years. Uh, India hasn't had an official critical minerals list. And uh, I, I think there is a need for that. There is a need for it 100%. Because I mean, yeah. since uh, you have started uh, researching mm. more about it, I think, and you, since you are one of the few people in India to do so, I mm -hmm. think you need some sort of support from the government to classify minerals as critically uh, critical yeah. for assessments and everything. And I think that would push your research in a very good direction. Yeah, yeah. And the results would be more promising. I yeah. Think. So I, I think one of the things that uh, we would like to yeah see happen is that the government is able to have some sort of national strategy for critical minerals. I think that's something that other countries have, and it seems to be a good practice uh, that's being followed. So um, I think if the government in India can also make a list of minerals that are critical for India and have dedicated strategies on how to secure them. Uh, that's beneficial for the country. Okay, is your research in 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 any consultation with any government agency or department in specific? No, there's no consultation at all. Uh, we okay. do so our this, own this is an independent work. It's completely right? all of our yeah. work is independent. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. like, uh, I think if we can reach out uh, to people, I think uh, through this podcast episode, mm -hmm. right, whosoever listens, and I think they can probably understand the problem that uh, the researchers go through mm. uh, for not having a unified list of mm -hmm. critical minerals because there is one planning commission there is DST so which one to follow which one not to follow yeah and yeah. what minerals to classify yeah, yeah. and now that you have done it on yours uh, like independently mm -hmm. uh, is this in coherence with uh, the ideology of the government departments that are responsible mm. to this thing Probably the Ministry of Mines would be the best place, I think. Yeah, but Ministry I, of Mines would be the one who can figure out the minerals that are the most critical for India. And uh, I mean, we of course share our work with of course, uh, any, anyone and anyone who wants to read it. It's free to read by anyone. So of course we've shared it with um, uh, the stakeholders relevant to this, to this field. So um, I think moving on from this particular aspect, I think we can talk a lot of things on this. this yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, exactly. But sure, I think sure. I, I, I will we'll move from this thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are two factors uh, that we came across for the indicators, right? Yeah. That's the supply side and yeah. the demand side. Would you like care to uh, tell us what is the difference between and what exactly are these firstly? Sure, sure. So uh, as I mentioned before, we've been following the EU methodology to determine uh, how critical mineral is. Um, there are actually multiple methodologies out there. I think the US has their own way. Uh, I think Australia does it some different way. And, and every country has uh, priorities in terms of what minerals are the most critical uh, or, or what factors are the most important for determining the criticality. Um, and of course, every country will have a different uh, list of critical minerals for two reasons. One, every country has different minerals to mine. Yeah. Uh, and two, every country has different manufacturing needs. So those two reasons basically sum up why every country would have different, different. Uh, critical minerals. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the way we've done it is again the EU methodology where we look at uh, demand set factors which we call economic importance and supply set factors which we call supply risks. Uh, so on the demand side, economic importance, we have uh, four indicators. Uh, the first one is what we call the disruption potential uh, which uh, measures uh, what uh, share of the manufacturing GVA, the gross value add, 
would be affected in India if there were to suddenly be a disruption in the supply of that mineral. So to rephrase it, if let's say mineral is uh, sorry, uh, uh, lithium is no longer available in India right now, uh, what share of industries uh, would have an Im impact on their supply chains if they aren't able to get the lithium they require? Right. So we compute uh, based on uh, data from the annual survey of industries, who consumes lithium and other minerals that we've assessed. Is that available? Yes, it's okay, available. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a very tricky data to It is, it is capture. very tricky. It's very tricky. Yes. I, I, the, the way I'm saying it is um, the easy way, and I wish it was this easy, but it's very tricky. But it's not. I mean, it's like, not, it's not I, mean I have gone through ASI, yeah, yeah. so I know. Yeah, it, sort this, of, this is the hardest part, honestly. I mean, this is yeah. one of the hardest parts of this work, yeah. is figuring out um, who consumes the mineral. And I mean, this is getting to the intricacies. I don't know if you want me to, but uh, just a highlight. A highlight, basically. Um, okay, so the, the highlight here is that uh, any mineral can be consumed in different forms. Yeah. So uh, a mineral can be consumed as a raw ore. So you you mine out, let's say, the lithium ore. You can consume it in that way. Uh, and people who consume it that way typically would be processing it to uh, downstream uh, products. Okay. So uh, one way to process it would be to create chemical compounds. So you have lithium hydroxide or lithium chloride, whatever it may be. Uh, then there'll be one more processing of that mineral, which then takes the chemical into, let's say, a cathode or an anode oh, yes. to uh, for the battery. Yeah. So then somebody else will then take the cathode or anode and then put it into a battery pack or a cell. So it's basically and the whole manufacturing process. It's a whole value yeah, chain. Yeah. It's a whole value, value chain. chain. Yeah. Right. So uh, the tricky part here is uh, up to what point in the value chain do we want to analyze? Because um, if you're looking at lithium being consumed, uh, it can be as simple as lithium ore being consumed. But then do we take into consideration if we are consuming batteries, it has a in it. So there was some uh, bit of, yeah. I think this issues, is very yeah. tricky and this yeah. is very, uh, I mean, like time consuming. Plus it needs 100% like concentration. It does, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. And <laughs> not miss us the most lightest yeah, yeah. Uh, details on this thing. And uh, this is very, auto I mean, not off topic necessarily, but this is something that in a way kind of keeps me... I, I mean, I, I asked this question because yeah. I wanted uh, the listeners to know mm. the focus and the expertise that goes into this uh, sort of, you know, uh, area. Mm. Because there's two aspects I see. I mean, one is economic, purely economics. The other is science. Mm. And this is just like, uh, like you know, like two combination of two, yeah, area, yeah, two it different is, it is, it is, fields. Yeah. Because I also do things in different areas because I, I studied STEM, right? Yeah. But now that I'm shifted to economics, but mm. I use my STEM uh, uh, knowledge and applications into my economic, uh, yep. economics research. So the amount of, uh, you know, what's it, the details I need to study and everything, it's totally different from mm. other economists, right? They see things purely economic way. Yeah. But I have to bring in my diff uh, STEM knowledge into analyzing yeah. the scientific aspects, sometimes mm -hmm. the engineering aspect and most importantly the mathematical. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of things are just pure uh, statements mm -hmm. which have no mathematical or numerical basis. But then as an engineer, as a STEM person, you need you understand what this might be in numerical ways. So you try to do that and turn it into economic importance and present it as a proper economic concept. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I'm touching this uh, small nuance on this thing that yes, we need to know, listeners need to know the amount of, you know, like details and, uh, you know, patience that goes into <laughs> developing such research work yeah, and yeah. why this research work is important to them for to study and, you know, to read, basically. People yeah. might say, okay, critical minerals, why do we, okay, this must be some paper. Mm -hmm. But no, this this is something to read, right? Because yeah. Yeah, sure. Earlier, I thought the same way. And when yeah. I read the complete paper, and I was like, I was blown away because because of the details that were there. I couldn't understand in the first reading, yeah. very honestly. Yeah. When there are elements, I still don't understand. But then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I think you are here to, you know, explain all of us. Sure, sure. Yeah. Right. I, can so, try. I can absolutely try. No, so but yeah, I think, please, uh, please. I think there's one thing I think you touched upon a bit earlier, that the, the kind of detail, the level of detail you need. And honestly, this is a bit personal to say, but it sometimes keeps me up at night. Uh, this, uh, this wondering if somebody is going to call me up one day and tell me, by the way, did you do this? Uh, in know, in an existing working paper, oh. and then I'll sort of be like, I completely missed that. How hard is that possible? And then, uh, I mean, there's like the the fear of kind of getting it wrong, you know, because you you, you, you all have that. Yeah, you yeah, all have yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. And especially on like work, you have put so much time in and you oh, put yes. so much effort into. You you feel like if you make a mistake here and somebody is able to catch it, then 
it almost you almost get that sense that what if they undermine your entire work you well, know? like yes. what if everything you've done is actually wrong and, I've had that. Uh, I've had that. Yeah. Issue. But then we're not going to touch upon no, no, that. No, no. I mean, we're not going to touch upon that. It's, but it's yes. a scary thought. That, that yes. Always. Um. I think almost every week I have this like a. Everyone uh, has that, yeah. and I think it's a good one. It's yeah, a good yeah. one. It's a it, good I one. think it's good because then it keeps us all on our toes. Yes. It makes us more diligent. Makes us more. Um. Yeah. This like meticulous. Yes. So. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I got cut off. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, no. It's, it's, it's actually important. No, it's, yeah. it's exactly. It's actually important for the listeners to know that you know. Why uh, this research is important? How this is done? Such an important research is how it is done, yeah. right? If they don't know that, they won't value our work, yeah. right? Yeah. So we yeah. need to tell them through this sort of medium, like yes, this is important, and how it is important for them to know, yeah. and what they can do about it, right? How yeah. can they contribute in this aspects, yeah. right? So I think moving on. So I think you were telling us uh, us about GVA multiplier coefficients. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I think I was. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think there's one more thing to say. Yeah, absolutely. five more seconds. Please, please, uh, please, please. I, I think you, you you also brought this up, and I think I like the point quite a lot. Is that um, the research work can be very multidisciplinary. Yes. And honestly, that gives you a huge boost if you have that knowledge of multiple uh, fields, because um, at the end of the day, things link up and ideas can be floated across uh, different topics, and that's why a place like CSEB I really enjoy because we have so many different verticals doing just a variety of work from people looking at. Uh, links with Bangladesh to somebody looking at you know the health outcomes in a, a state down south and it, it just brings uh, a lot of happiness to me to, to see some good work being done and learning from other people other experts in the field. I mean I like multidisciplinary because you know like it removes the most stupidest uh, stupidest concept of sectary paribus mm-hmm. I don't like it no. <laughs> because you know the real world does not work constant, yeah. yeah because it does not uh, make any sense in the real world yeah like one day your theory might work, but the other day, what happens? Yeah. Nothing. It's yeah. just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So I like to eliminate that Cetri Paribus aspect of my part of research. Like, okay, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to develop some sort of methodology or like theory or a model, which is so dynamic mm-hmm. and real time mm-hmm. that it can capture maximum parameters or like maximum factors into it. So that's yeah. the way I like to conduct my research. And I think... That is the way multidisciplinary should yeah, yeah. or is working, right? And I think there are pros and cons to what you're saying. Uh, I think a lot of people actually prefer having it very siloed off. Yeah. yeah, and I, I get both. I get both uh, aspects completely. I think uh, sometimes you need to do a bottom-up approach, or you need to like very specifically focus on that particular sector, that particular element. Um, but I think I think both are equally valid, valid. in answering whatever question. So. Uh, it just depends on you know kind of you what you're feeling and what you're thinking about it. But yeah, so, so yeah. that could be the mentions that yeah. you used. Uh, so I, I mentioned disruption potential. Um, I'll be quick on this because it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. very Absolutely. minor. But okay, so substitutability basically is um, for every mineral uh, there may be an alternative that can be used, and we find a way to measure uh, in terms of cost and performance how good that substitute is. Uh, GVA multiplier coefficient. This is an innovation that we added because uh, we also work on input-output related issues. So the input-output table provides information on how uh, the, the 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 changes in one sector might impact uh, other sectors. The other sectors, yeah. exactly. So what we wanted to do is to look at uh, how we can extend the disruption potential, which is very much a single sector approach, to a GVA multiplier coefficient, which yeah. looks at how uh, okay, look, a mineral might be affecting uh, supply chains in sector A. But sector A is vital for the production process of sector B. Sector B. So if a mineral is not in sector A, then actually sector B is also going to be impacted. Yeah. So we want to also take that into account. Absolutely. Uh, cross-cutting index is a new innovation that we came up with. Uh, this basically looks at how some minerals are actually used in multiple sectors uh, in different ways. So I think the best example is copper. Cop- copper is a mineral that has so many uses, uh, metals, chemicals. It, it's used in, in, in a variety of fields. and. Uh, the idea that we were thinking is that, uh, okay, of course you're measuring the GVA uh, that's going to be affected or the GVA affected by other sectors, but uh, just the number of sectors that are going to be affected will also have a play in terms of determining how important that mineral is economically. So that's the economic importance dimension. Uh, I'll move on to supply risks quickly. I just want, uh, I mean, before you move on to supply risks, I just want to know what exactly is economic importance. I know you uh, discussed mm-hmm. the indicators of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it carries a formula, but we're not going to touch upon. Oh yeah, formula. The, the formula is just kind of combining these four. Yeah, so in a, I, I in want you to di- uh, discuss. Yeah, yeah. I would leave the listeners to read your please, paper please on that. Yeah. <laughs> but, look, yeah. but if you can just, you know, like. Uh, 
provide one line uh, summary of what exactly is economic uh, I importance. think economic importance, the one liner is basically uh, what is the, hmm, I don't want to use the word importance in, in the definition, but. Go on, I mean, uh, it's just. But basically, the, 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 the impact a mineral has on an economy. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. so a mineral that has a higher impact on the economy in terms of more uses, uh, fewer substitutes, more uh, indirect impacts more impacts across multiple sectors, those minerals are known as uh, or, or seen or, or quantified to be more economically important. All right. Yeah. So moving so on to the supply risk. Supply risk, risk yeah. So I think supply risk, I'll start with the definition. Oh, supply yes, risk please, uh, please. we define as, uh, I mean, uh, minerals with high supply risk are basically those minerals where uh, there are significant uh, threats or uh, risks in uh, getting a resilient supply of that mineral domestically. So of course it's going to depend on your import export at least your import import, and uh, export, import yeah. yeah import reliance but uh, import reliance is only one factor involved uh, so the import reliance basically accounts for if you have any domestic mining then you don't actually worry too much about supplies uh, but if you don't have any domestic mining then you're going to be fully reliant on imports. so I think it's an uh, inversely or I think di- directly proportional factor yeah exactly it's, yeah, it's, yeah right. directly yeah yeah so. Uh, yeah, the higher the importer lines, the more suppliers. Yeah. Exactly. So the uh, so the, the one thing we look at is concentration of minerals. So uh, we look at it both in terms of extraction and processing. I mentioned before you have lithium ore yes. becomes lithium chemicals. So what we're going to look at is uh, uh, where India gets its minerals from. So if we are importing our minerals from only one country, um, supply risk are much higher because we're fully relied on this one country. If you're getting it from 100 countries, then our supply is way lower because if one country drops out, we still have another land to go to. Yeah. Uh, some minerals, unfortunately, are just found in certain areas, so there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Uh, best example would be co- cobalt in Congo. Cobalt. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, lithium in Australia or ABC, South America. Uh, these are some examples. Rare roots in China, another example. Uh, and then you have something called a bottleneck analysis. Uh, so we basically wanted to find out the concentration of minerals both in extraction and also in processing. Okay. And the importance of this is that some minerals might be very nicely dispersed around the globe in terms of extraction, but only one country processes it. Okay. So that's still a concentration we're regard for. So that's the bottleneck. That's the bottleneck. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So a good example, uh, I mean, lithium, I, I was mentioning, is concentrated uh, in extraction too. Uh, but it's far more concentrated in processing. Okay. So in extraction, the main countries are Australia, Chile, Argentina, Bolivia. Uh, but almost, I think, I can't remember the exact number. I think it's in the paper. But basically, yeah, 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 some large number of uh, lithium, large quantity of lithium is actually processed in China. China. Okay. So uh, we had to look at that angle too. So, so I think that extraction of extracted min- uh, mineral yeah. is uh, sent, of sent China. to China for processing. Exactly. Right. And then right. China then process it to whatever extent so, yeah. and you get it from okay. there. Yeah. So that's the supply risk. Correct. Yeah. Then you have the important lines which you talked about before. Uh, recycling is an important factor. Basically the idea is that uh, if you're able to recycle a mineral completely, uh, then you don't need to rely on supplies because we already have everything we need. Uh, the only extra we'll need is you know, if our demand is rising, but uh, a lot of supplies can be met through recycling. Uh, and uh, Professor Shadda and I actually have a piece on this uh, talking about urban mines. Okay. So there's a lot of electrical waste that uh, we have in India, or all over the world as well, but India is what I think the third largest contributor to electrical waste, electronics and electrical waste. So if you look at your mobile phones, laptops, computers, um, whatever it may be, anything with like a, a processor basically uh, will have some critical minerals inside it. Uh, and extracting it is not easy uh, because a lot of these minerals get uh, it's, it's, it's not it's not homogenous it's heterogeneous in the in the products, so uh, that's another thing to look at. But basically, if we have good recycling infrastructure in a country, then you can reduce your supply risks by just taking the waste, removing the minerals, and then taking them back into your uh, supply yeah. chains. So that basically. The last is uh, substitutability, but that basically measures how easy it is to mine substitutes or uh-huh. how much in production they are. So these combination of factors, we use uh, what looks like a complicated formula, which we got from the EU. <laughs> Not we didn't do this ourselves, we got from the EU. Okay. Uh, and we take them all together and come up with some uh, quantifiable numbers in terms of uh, which minerals are high on economic importance, high on supply risks. And we use uh, uh, some thresholds to figure out which minerals we were determined to be critical. Critical. Yeah. So, is there any mineral uh, that India needs to be, you know, like higher alerted? I mean, like about. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. Our results kind of um, are in, in multiple directions. I, I think the the ones that everyone is familiar with is uh, lithium. You know, having uh, 
importance in our uh, EVs. Uh, we have a lot of minerals required for wind turbines, including neodymium. Neobium is another one that's quite important. Cobalt is important. So I think we've come up with a list of 20-ish minerals, which we think are uh, highly critical for India, both on economic importance and supply risks. Uh, that isn't to say that other minerals are not critical. Uh, but they are like they are. In, they, like, they have some benefits in that either we don't need them right now desperately, or our supplies are taken care of because we have enough mining in India. So but we still need to understand that yes, yeah, these are risks. These are there are some potential, potential risks, risks that can come up. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, this is a kind of study that needs to be done frequently enough that we can account for the changing needs of a country. So I think. Uh, this paper of yours, uh, I think this is the 2023 version. Yeah. So I think for this year, I think this is done, right? So it's, I think uh, this is our work is done. Uh, so I mean, yeah. you will be revising it for I think 24 now. Uh, I think we're gonna give it at least three years. Okay, three yeah, years. Yeah, we don't we won't do this every year because not much changes in one year. Okay. Uh, especially economic importance, not much changes because manufacturing sector takes three four years before you see. Unless and until there is a big economic shock or some sort of you know like mining shock into it. Yeah, suppliers could change. change suppliers, right. we write about some of the uh, major challenges of the day. So uh, I mean, now it's, it's it's been a while, but uh, China's COVID lockdowns last year were pretty pretty brutal, and a lot of supply chains of critical minerals were affected. I mean, in uh, terms of for, for India. All over the world. So okay. if you look at the global chip shortage, for example, that, that was... Uh, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so, so the, the multiple factors involved. The Russia-Ukraine war um, also had some implications on minerals because uh, Russia is one of the... And Ukraine too, they have uh, sizable quantities of critical minerals, uh, reserves and production. So the multiple factors that can take place, uh, that can change over time. So suddenly, uh, for example, Indonesia, uh, not suddenly, but recently, uh, they decided to ban the uh, export of uh, raw nickel ore uh, and Indonesia is one of the largest contributors of nickel, nickel. Uh, in the world so uh, suddenly these kind of impact uh, these kind of policy changes can have impacts on supply risks so is there any challenge for like India in terms of these uh, events that are happening yeah yeah the there are multiple challenges and we have to be prepared for them uh, one of the main things to consider is that um, we don't necessarily need the raw materials for all of these minerals because we actually don't have the processing capabilities within India yet so we do rely on a lot of processing done by China, uh, other countries too. But our relation with China is exactly. very dicey. I mean, yeah, so uh, China has already had a history of turning off supplies to countries. Uh, I believe it was Japan they turned off uh, the rare earth supplies to. So any, anything would happen, anything would happen. And, and countries have been developing strategies to uh, counter any threats. So uh, yeah. Is economic sanctions one of them? Because any country <laughs> in the world just goes on and put sanctions on the country that is troubling them or the world? No, I think economic sanctions is uh, not, not what we have seen before. I don't think that that's something that's been written about in terms of uh, critical minerals. I think one of them is uh, forming uh, country groups. Uh, some countries have already formed groups. Uh, the developed countries have the Mineral Security Partnership, MSP. Uh, India is not yet part of uh, such a consortium of countries, but uh, we have been seeing that India could definitely be a leader um, in working with other countries on uh, on these issues, especially as we have the presidency for G20. Uh, let's raise this issue in the G20, you know. I mean, surely. I mean, yeah, it yeah, should be there. And, and no, no, not just that. We already have. It's already yeah, I mean, like, because yeah. I mean, this is a good opportunity to present what is happening and why yeah. these things should be there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I think that's uh, one, one of the uh, strategies. One strategy. Other strategy is... Uh, uh, this can be given more thought, but uh, things like stockpiling. So if we think that these minerals are going to be high in demand in the future, why not start having some sort of way to uh, bring in stockpiles within the country, maybe a 30-day reserve, 60-day reserve. So in case anything goes wrong, we'll have at least uh, two months to prepare for the worst. So I think that's another strategy people employ. But our paper runs through a couple of the main strategies. I just want to you know, like ask two things on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, how is climate change affected by the mining of these critical minerals? Is, is there any threat to it or like is it sort of like okay we can do this? You mean the uh, environmental impacts of mining? Yes. yes. Yeah so um, it, it's, it's, it's there, it's there. Yeah. Uh, uh, mining has massive repercussions on the environment. It has huge uh, impacts on the health of communities nearby. Uh, and of course, the miners, the miners themselves. Yes. Yeah, of course, of course. So, and it also depends, I think, on the mineral that they are uh, That's mining. That's very true. Right? That's very true. The type of mineral you mine has huge impacts, and uh, 
um, for example, COBOL, I know, has terrible, terrible, terrible uh, uh, threats to the lives of minors. Uh, so I, th- I think there's a huge uh, component that needs to be worked on. Uh, separate, I mean, not separate to this work. It, it, it all goes hand in hand. They're yeah. all part of the same overall goal of uh, developing the country. And uh, how does this relate to any of the sustainable development goals? Or what about the sustainability of it? So the sustainability, I think, um, I, I can't top of my head remember the SDGs that are relevant to mining, but I know that uh, Indian mining companies um, do follow, some of them at least follow, um, FIMI has a set of sustainable standards, sustainability standards for mining in India. Uh, but I think one thing we have noted is that we don't necessarily subscribe to the global practices of sustainability. You have the ICMM, for example, International Council on Metals and Mining. Yeah. I, mean, I probably got the name wrong, but something along no, those right. lines. That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, then you have things like EITI, which is the Extractive Industry Transparency Initiative, okay. EITI. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are places in which um, organizations are looking to... Um, work on ways to make uh, the, the mining value chain, the whole value chain, not just the mining, but also the processing and... More sustainable. Yeah, more sustainable uh, right. for everyone involved and also the environment. So I think that's a really important factor. And I think that's the biggest challenge in mining is the uh, ESG uh, implications because uh, in India itself, you know how much people have suffered from uh, mining related issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just not now. I mean, they've been there for a long time. Yeah, and it, even today, even even right now, we have uh, people just working in terrible conditions, and uh, it's it's really important to get. It's it's a very risky process of mining, you know, like because people do need money and they want to do a lot of things, and they don't know the implications of what they are going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just know that they need to mine things, right? Yeah, they yeah. are looking for something. So they are told and they don't, nobody tells them the health uh, precautions and everything. Yeah. So that's the problem. Uh, but I think the people who mine are in desperate need of the money. Uh, so they just do it for the money uh, without knowing what will happen to them or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the part. But and, again, uh, that that is why there is sustainability there. Um, yeah, and I know. think this on that, uh, we are and have worked on sustainable mining in India. We have a paper called uh, CSEP SMI, SMAI, Sustainable Mining Attractiveness Index. Uh, our first paper was on uh, attractiveness of sustainability mining in Jharkhand, in the districts of Jharkhand. And uh, that's already available online, so uh, anyone can go and read oh, it. Yes. Uh, but most uh, recently, we are coming up with a paper on uh, SMI for all of India. Okay. Or at least specifically the major mining states of India, which is about 12 states that are the biggest miners in India. And here we've done a comprehensive look at um, what are the factors that enable sustainable mining. Uh, sustainable mining comes in multiple forms. So sustainable mining comes in the form of, of course, first and foremost, people involved in the mining activities. So the, the workers, the miners, and people living in the communities, then the wider picture of environment um, and, and that's the in, in my opinion personally that's the most important thing to look at is the people and environment you know? absolutely. That's, that's the absolutely. externalities you have to consider yeah. but obviously there are other elements too and we also want to consider sustainable mining holistically so we also look at uh, the the sustainable factor for uh, the companies themselves how easy it is to mine so you have ease of doing business but what about ease of mining so you have also the benefits to the government because government actually uh, gets a lot of revenues from mining. You have royalties, you have auction premiums, you have taxes and so on. So mining is actually very beneficial to a lot of these uh, states. Stakeholders. Uh, yeah, all the stakeholders, but to states especially where, uh, and this is what we write in our, in our, uh, in our paper, that uh, a lot of the mineral wealth in India is concentrated uh, under the feet of some of the poorest country, uh, poorest communities in the country. Right. So if you look at the mining states of Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, Odisha, uh, and compare their HDIs, their per capita income, they're one of the, the poorest states in the country. And uh, despite having billions of dollars of wealth... I think their, this is based on the government data itself? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this is all the reserves and resources of... Uh, which, which part, sorry? The, 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 I mean, the statistics, uh, the HDI and GDP and everything. So oh, yeah, yeah. This is, this is based on... Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is being yeah. reported by the government, right? Yeah, yeah, the HDI yeah, yeah, numbers perfect, of yeah, the per capita perfect. HDI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't have the exact figures, but... But is that right? I mean, paper, yeah. the resource is the government uh, we, we data. We government data. We quote government data on this, yeah. So, I mean, you touched uh, one of the strategies for creating resilient critical mineral supply chains mm-hmm. in sustainability as gender equity and transparency. Right. Right. Would you 
tell us how gender equity and like what exactly you uh, what you mean by gender equity and uh, transparency into it yeah so um this is strategies for uh, i think you're referring to paper table on page 35 where we look at some of the uh, strategies that can be employed uh, yeah. for creating sustainable supply chains of critical minerals so uh, under sustainability as a as a pillar um we have gender equity in the sense that uh, there are differences in not differences necessarily but the 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 mining itself can be done by both you know uh, women also participate in mining quite a bit so i think the the idea is how do we make it more inclusive for them easier for them to take part uh, in a safe way uh, a lot of the issues are of course um uh, gender blind but okay. uh, there may be certain factors involved in which we have to consider the needs of women also working in these communities um transparency i think uh, is a bit broader um and i i think it refers to just uh having full knowledge of what's going on uh, in each of these steps of the supply chain so we know or are fully aware that uh in the cobalt mine of congo uh, there are no children working in the mine you know that's, that's a good thing yeah. that's a good thing and this is what eiti does they, 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 the big part of their work is the transparency in the value chain and a lot of big uh, tech companies these days are very very keen on finding supply chains that come from uh, sustainable sources so that's they good. don't want to get their cobalt from uh, mines run by children no that's uh, that's good that's, that's, that's a good really thing that's a good yeah. thing that's a good thing so i just want to touch on the last part of your paper that would be creating knowledge networks so i mean like how does that work and what exactly it means basically Yeah, so I think uh, I already touched upon it a little bit. Knowledge networks, I think, also include uh, interactions with other countries and how to work together. So uh, India is the standalone. I mean, we have allies, we have friendly nations. So why not work with other countries too and find ways in which we can all come together? Because climate change is a global threat, um, and it's going to affect all of us. Even if it know, is, I think I mean, it's already affecting all of us. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. seen uh, rainfall in what called April month of April. May, I think. May yeah, and April, week, I'm yeah, like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> so this yeah. this is actually a perfect evidence of climate change. I yeah. think. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after COVID, I think it has the it has incremented. I mean, that would be the best thing. I mean, the frequency of these events have uh, increased. I think that's what they say with climate change: the frequency of um, these unexpected, or at least you know, once in a hundred, once in Two hundred year events are going to increase because uh, we just I don't know. I think rainfall, uh, unseasonal rainfall, has increased. Uh, right, right, right. In India, specific and it is evident in Delhi, of course, <laughs> because yeah. uh, not just this year. I mean, the previous year also, and when we had complete lockdowns, hmm. we saw rainfall in the month of March, hmm. uh, where there is no way. I mean, like, yeah. and it was way beyond the precipitation levels that we receive. in in march or april right yeah yeah and they were record breaking uh, breaking mm-hmm. data mm-hmm. Uh, numbers basically and yeah it was concerning uh, yeah yeah i mean this is just the the i mean in a way it's almost nice to have a bit of rain to beat the heat but it's going to get you know it's it's not just the uncharacteristic rain but i think agriculture uh, a lot yeah. of things get affected by agriculture and it's also like uh, storms tropical cyclones yeah. i think these are things that can start increasing in frequency increasing in uh, severity So of course, yeah, climate change affects us all. So the, the the main idea that we have in creating knowledge networks is that um, everyone has to do their part. Uh, developing countries can do their part with uh, assistance from developed countries in some ways. So in terms of uh, getting the best access to technologies, um, uh, finance help, financing help, uh, there are multiple factors in which we can do that. But also, all in all, making sure that. India is uh, has a voice on the table. Oh yes, uh, of course. I mean, minerals. I think I think the leadership is working on that, and they absolutely, have been, yeah, yeah. they have been heard properly yes, yeah. this time around. And, and uh, uh, we are doing some good work on critical minerals. And I, I think I the attitude and the habits in the Indians, Indian citizens, have started to change. They've started to realize that yeah, there are things that we need to change in ourselves, and then uh, collectively, the you know like the. bigger actions can be taken appropriately and they will be impacted and results will improve and i think with the climate change clock everywhere around the world and now that india has sponsored that uh, also and the part of that program uh, everyone is aware like yes this is happening and you know like we need to stop certain habits and we need to change our attitude towards our own daily you know like uh, actions so yeah i mean uh, we are growing we are getting educated 
but yeah we i i strongly believe that we don't need extreme events for that yeah we should not wait for something wait for uh, something big to happen, big to happen. Uh, yes yeah. so i think the precaution we need to take uh, involves switching over to green technologies and manufacturing these technologies require i think green technologies were there before uh, the advancements developments technological yeah. advancements and most probably the craving for something you know like uh, more and more and more importantly trying to uh, like have an easy life not to do much harder work i think has only impacted this green uh, thought and like they need more and more you know like uh, changes uh, and we need to understand that it's time to put a stop right to the quirks of like you know like uh, having more more and more uh, ace of life we need to understand we uh, need to work right we need to go out there we need to work everything is everything cannot be done on a laptop or mobile phones right we can't just sit there okay we have this device we have this technology this will happen if we use this no you need to get out of the home do some part of it and you know like try to understand that i mean i mean uh, this is like changing of attitude and the habits that we have you know uh, because of the advancement in technologies so i think this need to be changed and needs to have some sort of halt and i think we will have and this this sort of knowledge we need to possess and i think this is the kind of network we need yeah i mean uh, this is this is a lot that needs to be done um, i think i think personally i would say that uh, a lot of the changes um, of course there has to be some sort of uh, cultural change within people where we also are aware of uh, how our habits affect planet um, i think that's slowly happening i think education the uh, the government uh, is very very focused on this and that really really helps uh, the fact this constant dialogue on the need for having uh, climate change mitigation technologies so that's fantastic and we need goals basically and we yeah. have and we have, we uh, have very good goals, goals. our yes. goals are are set um is just that i think this is where the, the work comes in that we're doing is that in order to meet these goals uh certain things need to happen yes and this is where this paper fits perfectly, perfectly to say that in order for these things to happen you need to make sure that you are having access to the raw materials that will enable you to meet your goals um and that's how I would sum up this paper i think <laughs> thank you uh, thank you ganesh for joining us Thanks, and uh, i think this is a wonderful talk and probably wonderful paper thank you so much thank yeah, yeah. you thank you thanks so much for having me uh, it is really great and uh, if anyone else is interested in this paper please oh, absolutely free, yeah. if anyone wants to work in this area and feels can contribute please go, uh, contact ganesh uh, and yeah. you can have his details i think email address from the it's website, website yeah. on the so website all our work is on the website yes absolutely i mean too. if someone wants to join and contribute into this part of the research aspect i mean please yeah. i mean this is an understudied uh, area so far thank you so much thank, thank you, you for joining yeah. thank you all right. thank you